0: New York State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett says monkeypox continues to spread and people should be aware of the risks and how to access the limited supply of vaccines. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt spoke to Bassett about the disease.
1: Governor Kathy Hochul declared a state disaster emergency regarding monkeypox. Is it that bad of an outbreak? Well, you know, it has been declared uh, the
2: highest level of global emergency by the World Health Organization. And the reason that we're worried about it is that it's spreading rapidly, it's spreading globally, it's spreading in ways that we haven't seen before for this particular virus. So yes, Uh, additionally, of course, the state of emergency gives us other benefits that will be very important to uh, containing the monkeypox spread.
1: How easy, or should I say, how hard is it to get the disease compared to COVID?
2: Oh, gosh. Thank you for asking that question. COVID is a respiratory virus that spreads through the air. Uh, And this is a virus that spreads from um, close, uh, skin-to-skin, face-to-face contact. Um, Historically, in areas of Africa where it's described as endemic, it's been pretty non, you know, slow to transmit, uh, but this um, is a different sort of pattern of monkeypox. Uh, but still, it's nothing like COVID. We're seeing four or five thousand cases a day, and our cumulative number of monk- diagnosed monkeypox in the state is has just surpassed fifteen hundred cumulatively,
1: not daily. It's still most prevalent among men who have sexual relations with other men, correct? Yes. Yes. So how do you stop the, the spread or cut down on it without stigmatizing a population, you know, and repeating, you know, what happened with HIV and AIDS? Those of us who are around remember how terrible yes. that was in the 1980s and 90s.
2: Yes. Yes. Certainly. I began my working life during the AIDS epidemic. and. Absolutely, this is the the challenge. We have a group that's bearing the brunt of the uh, rising number of cases of monkeypox. And it's also a group that we don't want to see stigmatized. So we both have to sound the alarm uh, and we have to make it clear that this is not something that spreads because people are are gay. Uh, This is something that spreads by skin-to-skin contact um, and it can affect anyone. There's no biological protection uh, for people who don't consider, don't identify as gay from, from monkey pox.
1: Right. Uh, vaccine distribution, you know, once again, we're seeing some problems, shortages, it's limited. Um, and is it true that you have to have a doctor's office that you're connected with to get the shot? Um, Are there any plans for any statewide vaccination sites or clinics to be held to make it easier to get the vaccine? Well,
2: as you know, the the vaccine supply is limited, and that has to do with the history of the response to this virus, which we've known for decades affects human beings. Uh, We're targeting our distribution. There are uh, vaccine distribution opportunities available to most of the counties, Uh, Additionally, um, you know, we're working to reach out to groups that we know are at higher risk. Uh, But the, the bottom line is that we need more vaccine. No one is arguing with that.
0: That's New York State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartalk sat down with Dr. Don Levy, director of the Siena College Research Institute, about this week's released Siena poll.
3: A new poll finds incumbent Democrats in New York State are in a strong position three months from Election Day. A new poll from the Siena College Research Institute finds Governor Kathy Hochul leading Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin 53 to 39 percent among registered voters as she seeks a full term. Hochul is ahead by nearly 50 points in New York City, where Zeldin holds a slight edge in less populated upstate area so what do you make of it all
4: well first I'll make one slight note that this was uh, a poll of likely voters Um, as you know uh, as the election approaches we shift our polling from the entire universe of registered voters to those who uh, indicate that they are likely to vote in this upcoming election so uh, this is really the first in our sequence of of those um, pre-election polls that are uh, of likely voters. What do I make of it? I mean, certainly um, the current governor, Kathy Hochul, has a uh, solid lead. 14 points is, uh, is an impressive lead. Um, clearly, as you point out, she holds an overwhelming advantage in uh, New York City. Uh, but at this point, uh, I'm hesitant to call this an insurmountable lead. Uh, you'll remember that of recent gubernatorial elections, uh, the closest a Republican came uh, to winning the governor's seat uh, in the state of New York in the last three elections was Rob Astorino, who uh, lost to Andrew Cuomo by 14 points, the exact margin. That um, Kathy Hochul leads Lee Zeldin right now, but at this point in that race, that Cuomo defeated Astorino by 14 points. Uh, the lead in polling in August was much wider. Um, at that, at this point in the election, Cuomo had a lead of 32 points over uh, Astorino. So uh, Zeldin starting at a point much closer. Uh, to making this a competitive race than Astorino did in uh, 2014.
3: So what do you make of the fact that you have a person running for office who is a woman, and we've never had a woman governor, right? Right. And it comes not from New York City, the five boroughs which have always determined which Democrat is going to win an election. What do you make of all
4: that? Well, she's a different candidate. Certainly Andrew Cuomo was um, the governor of the state of New York for what seemed like um, uh, a lifetime for many New York voters and and now Kathy Hochul is uh, is a new leader. Uh she does have a strong approval ratings. Her job approval rating is 52% approved 41% uh disapprove. Um, even upstate, which sometimes is seen as a, um, a weak area for a Democratic leader, uh, upstate gives her a 50% approval, a 40% disapproval. So she continues to have a base of support upstate, probably most especially in her home area of uh, of the buffalo area uh, and as a woman she certainly uh, is seen very strongly by uh, by women voters her approval rating amongst women in the state of new york is 60% uh, and clearly and I'm sure we'll talk about this, Uh, some of the issues, most especially um, the Supreme Court's ruling in Dobbs overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, is an issue that many women are energized relative to, and that uh, Governor Hochul will certainly um, stress uh, her position on that issue uh, to voters as we approach the November election.
0: Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Chartok. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics, I'm David Gustina. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was in Albany this week to make another push for President Biden to name upstate New York the epicenter of American chip manufacturing. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there and filed this report.
5: Visiting the SUNY Poly Albany Nanotech Complex, the New York Democrat told reporters the capital region is primed to reap the rewards and become the foundation for the future of America's semiconductor leadership. He pointed to Global Foundry's expansion plans for its Saratoga County campus.
6: There will be thousands and thousands of new jobs at the second chip fab in Malta. They have orders already till 2026. If you could think of what you wanted to locate here to create good-paying jobs, a new CHIP FAB is at the top of the list to create prosperity. And it's going to mean thousands, and these are union jobs, both union construction jobs and uh, additional jobs in the FAB. Okay. But then there is also the um, NSTC, the National Semiconductor Technology Center. For the United States to remain number one in the world, we have to be at the front of the line when it comes to research. And the federal government has determined there should be one national center to lead that research.
5: Schumer says he will use his clout to ensure the NSTC is located in the capital region. He notes that some individual companies want it, but he believes it shouldn't be at an individual company because they'll use the research for themselves. IBM senior vice president and director of research, Dario Gill agrees.
7: That's why we
0: have been working with a broad coalition to bring a set of partners across the different sectors such that we can put the bids for the NSTC. NSTC. So what that would mean in practice is come 2023, we would put the teams,
3: infrastructure required to be able to exercise the mission. And what are some of the directions that will take place? building the next generation of transistor technology of logic the best generation of memory technology of packaging of design that's what nstc will do
0: and albany will be a big part of creating these futures
5: schumer emphasized the urgency of ensuring china doesn't become the world leader in chip manufacturing
6: our researchers are the best in the world dollar for dollar we do better than the chinese Person for person, we do better than the Chinese. But if they're putting $30 billion into this, and we put a billion, which is what was happening before, they're going to get ahead of us. So we will stay ahead of China once this bill is signed into law, which it will be in the next few days. The president was going to do it this week, but COVID got in the way.
0: For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. As many communities across the state try to deal with a rise in homelessness, a new campaign is launched in Saratoga Springs as a first step to connect those experiencing homelessness to existing housing and human services in the area. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard explains.
7: As part of the new effort, so-called Saratoga Cares cards will be shared with local businesses. Todd Shimkus is president of the Saratoga County Chamber of Commerce, which is helping distribute the cards.
8: Right on that card, as you know, if you look at it, got a list of agencies, services, their address and their phone number. It can be easily handed to anyone and hopefully they'll take advantage of those services.
7: The new campaign in partnership with the city of Saratoga Springs and Saratoga County Alliance to End Homelessness is actually a strategy that was tried by the chamber before. Again, Shimkus.
8: I want to say six or seven years ago when we first started seeing more aggressive panhandling in the downtown and customers were complaining to business owners and, you know, the, the public wanted to do something and we wanted to do something to help. And when we talked to a number of the agencies back then, and the same thing is true today, they all said, what we got to do is get these individuals who need help and support to the agencies that can provide those services.
7: The effort comes after the Alliance to End Homelessness, a collaborative effort between several regional nonprofits, hosted a public forum in June. During that meeting, which served as a reintroduction of the nonprofit community's efforts to the public, several residents and business owners complained that they didn't know the best way to engage with panhandlers and unhoused residents. First term Saratoga Springs Mayor Ron Kim is a Democrat.
4: It was realized that um, we really need to have a, a, a resource that people can um, uh, sort of refer to as to where to go for services.
7: Andy Gilpin, co-chair of the Alliance and executive director of Captain Community Human Services, says the Saratoga Cares cards accomplish more than one goal.
8: It not only, I think, answers some of what the city and, uh, you know, residents and uh, tourists are thinking about how to best help folks experiencing homelessness, but at the end of the day, it does also encourage Uh, all the nonprofits working in the sector to try to reach more individuals who need help.
7: There are bigger goals, too, seeking to address chronic homelessness in Saratoga Springs. Many residents, nonprofit leaders, and city officials have come together around the idea of establishing a daytime drop-in center. With sky-high real estate prices and a lack of housing supply, Saratoga County, the fastest growing in the state, has struggled to address a problem exacerbated by the pandemic. With the Saratoga CARES cards as a small step, Gilpin says the Alliance is staying focused on the ground.
8: We're going to continue to work through our mission of preventing and ending homelessness um, by pursuing additional funding to support the efforts, uh, continue our strong collaboration, um, work on uh, continued awareness, uh, not only for the public on what it looks like and what the services are, but also to um, residents and people experiencing homelessness.
7: For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard.
0: listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Back with us on the Legislative Gazette this week is Dr. Lynn Paradnick, a medical marijuana doctor in Westchester County. She joins us from time to time to catch us up on what's happening in the legal marijuana industry that's now open in New York. Welcome, Lynn.
9: Thanks, David. It's great to be back. Oh, yeah, miles to go before we sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it took quite a bit of time for the legislation to get passed and largely on the grounds of having equity in this new legal market where the Rockefeller drug laws in New York in the past have put a lot of faces of color and minorities behind bars for many, many years. For, for example, using small amounts of marijuana, When often people on the Upper East Side will say, and they're smoking their marijuana, tended to get away with it. So part of making the legislation in New York was to get those who have been convicted under drug laws for marijuana a crack at the first chance to get licenses. Where are we now?
9: Okay. Well, we have this Office of Cannabis Management. They're the people in charge. They've appointed a committee with people in the various um, fields of expertise for the cannabis program. So you have business people, you have doctors, you have a whole crew of people giving their inputs. Um, The way the program is rolling out, they gave existing hemp farmers who grew hemp for CBD, they got first crack at cultivation. Uh, These people were not able to sell their crops. They've all taken a dive, so to speak. It, they really lost a lot of money. So New York's way of saying thanks for hanging in is, you guys get the first round of cultivation. Then the next. So that's up and running. Actually, people who planted with the uh, automatics, those are small kind of plants. They're harvesting now in New York State. So, for example, right outside Saratoga, tomorrow's a big harvest day, and they'll be planting um, another round of automatics to get in round two for this year but we're talking about the social equity piece giving people who've been harmed by these laws a second chance. Um, they've, New York State is going to be renting 100 real estate spots, shops for these people. The Dormitory Authority will be funding uh, these shops. Each shop owner gets a budget uh, to work with, about a million dollars, they're saying, and those are low-interest loans, and people are not Personally responsible for them. So it's a way that people who really have been punished get a chance to do something. And for example, I met a chef, Marquis Hayes. He's out in Portland now, um, lived in New York, grew up in the Bronx, parents are Black Panthers. He was proud to say he was one of the biggest pot dealers in the Bronx. He spent five years in the Slammer, um, learned to cook much better, fed everybody there. Now he's part of. a group called ghetto gastro he's looking to come back to new york and open a dispensary and this guy has gotten it together he knows how to run a business and he's an excellent social equity candidate his father actually was a big drug dealer um, this is basic the program is really looking for people who have suffered due to what the laws were so this guy gets a second chance he has some really great culinary ideas but he can make Um, a business out of doing his dispensary, get traction, get a name, get an income, and then he can branch out. So it's really interesting times to listen to people's stories. Maybe we can get some of them on with you, David, so these people can tell their stories firsthand and the viewers can understand a little closer to heart what this is all
8: about.
0: Yeah. And when we talk about getting a license, we're talking about a lot of money. I know I've talked to another source that you provided to me who was instrumental as a lawyer in helping people get set up in the marijuana industry in New York. He said it was a minimum of a million dollars, and because it's not legal on the federal level, it was dubious as to whether you should even own the building you're operating your business in.
9: Oh, yeah. It gets crazy because if there's an underlying mortgage FDIC-backed, they will not rent to a cannabis program because cannabis is federally not legal in this country. So um, the social equity people, though New York State is finding their stores for them so they don't have to deal with this red tape and paperwork. The state is really going out of their way to set them up, um, and that's actually the correct thing to do. Other states have tried, and, you know, things get really, really messy. So New York is really giving it a shot. And people are are excited. There's a lot going on. You walk around Manhattan, it smells a little too potty for my taste, but that's me. Um, you, but you can smell the change in the air. It's pretty interesting. If you go down to Washington Square Park, there are people with card tables selling pot. Now New York State actually came out about two weeks ago and sent cease and desist letters to um, operators who are selling cannabis not legally. They're saying you don't shut down you will never get a license from us if you want to go the legal route so that's supposed to provide some incentive but the fees are really high to get a decent law firm to do this with you and hold your hand and walk you through the fee is high and then there's so many other moving pieces to this like you know you need an ad campaign you need a layout for your dispensary you need a staff you need trained people So, it's a very, very ambitious project, but at least they're trying. You know, it's better than just slamming the doors and saying, well, you broke the law. Bye bye.
0: Yeah, and how many mom and pop operations will we see? I mean, we know there are these big corporations that, uh, you know, sort of rule the marijuana roost, so to speak, in these various states. They come in with millions of dollars and their lawyers, and they can set it up very easily and keep that momentum going. Will we see mom and pops in New York State like you see, you know,
9: your regular old
0: uh, dry bar, cleaners. bar owner, dry cleaner, uh, bodega, grocery store, that kind of thing?
9: The goal is yes. The problem is the fees are really high, and they remain high. As far as keeping an inventory, um, just visiting different medical dispensaries in different states, the lucky number I've come up with is uh, these Dispensaries have about $350,000 worth of inventory at all times. So that's a big nut to have to keep stocked in itself, never mind keeping the lights on and all that. So phase one in New York rollout for dispensaries, these are just the pop shops, is social equity. Then round two is women and minorities. This is where you'll get the mom and pops coming in, families chipping in like, let's do this and do it right. So I think New York, You know, they're doing the social equity, then they're doing women and minorities, and then comes the big boys in suits, as they like to say. So the original existing vertical integrations that are up and running are all medical. They will all be having uh, recreational dispensaries as well. Now, the thing is, these medical companies have lost money, hands over foot, since they opened in 2016. They applied, got in early to be able to get in early in the space, And they all lost millions and millions of dollars. Several of those licenses have now flipped. Um, Scott's miracle Grow is buying Etain. Verano is buying Vireo. Columbia Care has um, also flipped. So there's a lot going on within. um, But as far as, like, can you open basically a Korean-style deli where you have your whole family working? No, because the regs are really strict, age-restricted. Everybody has to really be vetted closely. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this rollout.
0: And I guess, uh, Lynn, the issue of the conditions that qualify if you're a medical patient, with the recreational market, have they added any other symptoms to that list for a medical Oh,
9: yes. This is where it gets very interesting. Now, podiatrists, dentists, nurse practitioners, and midwives can recommend cannabis for patients. And... Uh, doctors and all of the above are allowed to recommend or suggest cannabis if they feel it will improve the patient's life. So in New York, I'm no longer bound by like the big 13 conditions and having to have people bring me notes from psychiatrists saying PTSD. It's my estimation that I believe this will help. I can do it.
0: She's Dr. Lynn Perodnik, medical marijuana doctor in Westchester County, New York. Lynn, thank you.
9: Thank you, David, it's always fun.
0: And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2231. Or just listen at wamc.org. Or schedule a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.